Starcourt Study Hall contains spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And this is Starcourt Study Hall. Okay, we're going to have lots of fun today. I'm going to tell Amanda like a dozen stories and she's going to listen to them and be excited about them. Yeah, I love stories. (laughs) (laughs) Also, she doesn't have to pretend like she's hearing some of these things for the first time because I was well behaved Mm -hmm. and I didn't give anything away. I really wanted to tell her everything as I was uncovering it, but I didn't. You were very good. (laughs) Yes, I didn't. So today on Starcourt Study Hall, we're going to go on an adventure. Now, this episode started as one thing and then it totally morphed into something else. Originally, we wanted to do a whole episode kind of connecting Greek mythology to Stranger Things, like finding parallels between some of the most famous Greek myths and obviously just connecting them to Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. But we weren't really sure if that would fill a whole episode, so then couple weeks ago i was like let's do like a comic books type of thing here so rather than focus only on greek mythology today i'm going to do a little bit of that and we're also going to take a look at comic books and superheroes that our characters reference throughout the series and there's also a bit of overlap which you're probably not surprised about (laughs) i mean prometheus after all prometheum it's all you know greek But as we always do, I want to say up front, I am barely scratching the surface. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I know, Amanda, that you have spent some time on the DC and Marvel wiki pages just as a byproduct of doing this podcast. But it is this is this is bigger than a rabbit hole. (laughs) This is like a black hole, a wormhole. It's a deep, deep hole. (laughs) And we're calling this episode The Monsters and the Superheroes, not to be confused with the chapter from season four, Mm. The Monster and the Superhero. Which we will get to. We will. (laughs) Do you have any questions? This feels a little bit like high school math class when they'd be like, why don't Mm. you ask any questions? And I'm like, I don't know enough to even formulate one right now. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe you will have questions. Maybe I will. (laughs) Okay. For now, uh, we're just going to get to it. And we're going to start with mythology. Now, if I'm remembering correctly, I thought of this when we were theming season three, right? I think. And we thought of Billy as like this messenger for Vecna. And I mentioned Hermes, the Greek god of messages. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the god of messages. (laughs) Yeah, he's the god of like DMing and AOL instant messaging. And that was all Hermes behind that. Right? You would you would never know. know. Who knew? Thank you so much, Hermes. The the BBM was <laughs> behind that as well. <laughs> so yeah, when I thought of Billy as a messenger for Vecna, I was thinking specifically of the scene that we haven't gotten to yet, but in Hop's cabin when Billy is speaking to L mm. and he's clearly 
conveying a message. That's not Billy talking to right. L. That's Vecna or the Mind Flayer. Using Billy's form. Yes, using his form. Which, hold this thought for later, because okay. I didn't write it down, but hold this thought, okay? okay. And I just want to say, the scene is so goddamn creepy. It is so creepy. Mm-hmm. Like, I rewatched it to make sure that I knew what I was talking about, and I was like... <laughs> I was I was like Billy so you're creepy. creeping me you're creeping me out. <laughs> he says that she shouldn't have looked for him or them, right? She let them in. It's like please. <laughs> so, let's talk about who Hermes is. In Greek mythology, Hermes is the messenger of the gods. So he's not, you know, the god of messages. He's the messenger <laughs> of the gods. So he's he's the one in the office who actually brings the inter-office mail around. That is exactly what he is. He is the the mailman okay. of Olympus, okay? But he's like a god. Like, if you're male... I mean, let's be honest. Mailmen are gods, right? so... They really are. They're all a bunch of Hermeses running around. I like to think of mailmen um, like, like Santa Claus a little bit. It's like, hmm. how do you... It just blows my mind that it's even possible to deliver that much stuff in that amount of time. I agree. Like, the tooth fairy. Really? Like, how do you get from... How many children are losing teeth? You gotta go to all their houses and give them money? Ridiculous. I hope they have a good union. How do you... Seriously, how do they manage all this? <laughs> I hope they get raises yearly. <laughs> now, depending on who you think the big bad is in Stranger Things, I guess Billy could be the messenger of either the Mind Flayer or Vecna, but Hermes was the messenger of all the gods. So... He could also just be the messenger for both Vecna and the Mind Flayer, maybe? Like, why does it have to be either or? I don't know. He could just be both. Yeah, it's right? true. The inter-office male. Yeah. And we could also spin this and say that Vecna is the messenger for the Mind Flayer, or vice versa, depending on which school of thought you subscribe mm-hmm. to. Be- because, like, if the Mind Flayer is the big bad and Vecna is his five-star general, then he's the messenger for the Mind Flayer. Yeah. Why not? So something that I thought was interesting about Hermes is that he is the only Olympian who is capable of crossing the boundary between the living and the dead. I know. He would often escort souls to Hades in the underworld. So I don't know. Billy delivering people to the Mind Flayer is kind of giving this vibe a little bit. Like, here you go, boss. (laughs) Here's your souls or your flesh. (laughs) So, yeah. Hermes. I wanted to mention him because that's, I think, what kind of kicked off this whole idea. But then Netflix, Netflix was like, hey, um, there's a little kind of novel coming out about Eddie and it is called The Flight of Icarus. And I was like, wow, thanks, Netflix. You're just really helping me out here with this content that I need. (laughs) So this novel is centered on Eddie and it takes place two years prior to the events of season four. Now, I know you're going to I know you're going to think before before I say what I'm going to say, but Eddie gets offered a chance at a record deal. Huh. Okay? That yeah. A ticket out of Hawkins, but he needs to record a demo tape of Corroded Coffin's best songs first. This is the plot of this this novel. Okay. However, recording costs money and Eddie doesn't have that. Okay? So enter Eddie's dad Al. I don't know why, like, his name would be Yeah, Al. it would be. Yeah, Al. It would be Al's Al. a good name. Who is apparently a schemer, this guy. He's apparently a, more or less, I guess, a piece of shit. Yeah. Who, big big yeah. Lonnie energy. Right. Exactly. Now, he gives Eddie a plan to get money fast. He's like, get rich quick. Is that MLM again? Yes. 
Now, it's risky, but if it works, he can blow the cursed popsicle stand that is Hawkins, Indiana. And I just have to say, I love published fan fiction. (laughs) You guys ever read Fifty Shades of Grey? (laughs) Yeah, it's just published fan fiction. (laughs) Put the pedal to the metal. That's the first line of that book. Oof. Yeah, oof. (laughs) If you all didn't know, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is just a Twilight fan fiction, mm-hmm. and the names were changed from Bella and Edward to Christian and Anastasia. Yes, that's right. Really rolls off the tongue there. <laughs> now, I have a question. So there have been several of these little books, like these little spin y type books. Mm-hmm. If they're publicized by Netflix, are we meant to accept them as canon? It feels like we're supposed to. Right? Like, okay, yeah, whatever you say. Okay, but my question is, if this is a prequel, um, we know what happens to Eddie. We do. So, well, let's talk about Icarus. (laughs) Let's. Yeah, so before we move on to talking about Icarus, um, I just wanted to mention this book is written by Caitlin Schneiderhan, and it's scheduled to release on Halloween this year. Fun. Yeah. So we get the gist here of what the story is, as far as Eddie is concerned, called The Flight of Icarus. So now let's actually talk about Icarus. Have you ever been told not to fly too close to the sun? Yes, of course. Besides by Bastille. I'm pretty sure they told us that. Yeah, I think they did. Right? Pretty sure it was a song they had. Now, in short, Icarus and his father, Daedalus, are both prisoners of King Minos, okay? In Greek mythology. Until Daedalus comes up with an escape plan a plan to escape okay so the plan is for them to fly up beyond the castle walls using two sets of wings crafted by daedalus and these wings are made of feathers glued together with wax oh yeah that should do it (laughs) that should do it thanks dad (laughs) well before they make their escape daedalus warns icarus not to fly too close to the sun or the wax will melt and the wings will fail well, what does Icarus go and do? He flies too close to the goddamn sun, his wings melt, and he falls into the sea and drowns. Amazing. Amazing. So I think we can kind of see why Eddie's little novel is called The Flight of Icarus. His dad comes up with an escape plan, mm-hmm. helps him make money fast. And like you said, we know what happens to Eddie. We do. Eddie does not escape Hawkins. <laughs> no, he does not. Yeah. And he does kind of drown in bats but isn't it interesting that what kills him is something that has flight and he and like icarus is him flying and yeah falling that is interesting the bats killed eddie right okay i i see the parallels thanks you better because i worked really (laughs) hard to make them (laughs) no it's 100 percent on purpose dad's everywhere all right we're gonna talk about demogorgons a lot of them like several demogorgons love that yeah so in greek mythology and just like literature in general as you'll come to find out demogorgons are like really popular yeah so i want to give out a shout out to the norton anthology of english literature that i for some reason have hanging out in my (laughs) office because i saved all of my books from when i was an undergrad because i went and found these references to make sure they were real and that google wasn't just lying to me love that yeah So Demogorgons are super famous. They've been around since the Middle Ages. The Upside Down has been around since like 500 AD. You heard it here first. Interesting. I don't want to hear any nonsense about Henry creating the Upside... (laughs) No. 
this is this is long time this is canon in the norton anthology of english literature yeah the demogorgons have been ruling for a long time so there are so many pieces of literature that have mentioned the demogorgon mm-hmm. and it's kind of weird that like i was reading this shit in college before stranger things even happened and there were demogorgons in my life <laughs> before stranger things wow <laughs> yeah so he is known or it is known as a powerful primordial demon okay that checks out it does right he was mentioned in book two of john milton's paradise lost he was mentioned in edmund spencer's epic poem the fairy queen this is like 1590 and 1667 that this demogorgon is featured he's he's around he's been around and my yeah my favorite reference to him is actually in moby dick because i think i'm the only person in the world who actually read that book and liked it there's like a whole chapter describing whales it's great (laughs) um (laughs) but the white whale is described as their demigorgon with an i instead of you know demogorgon with an o versus demigorgon with an i all right but we're gonna get really (laughs) mythological apparently percy shelley who was i think either the husband or the brother of mary shelley who wrote frankenstein makes sense yes he wrote a lyrical drama in 1820 called prometheus unbound now i didn't read it (laughs) but it is in there Okay, and I think it's good for us to address Prometheus in general because Dustin and Robin do mention him in passing in the Flayed. So this next story is doubly relevant to Stranger Things. Okay. And the entire uh, story, if you ever felt like reading it or Googling a synopsis or trying to understand what the fuck is going on, you have to know that it just really feels like a hard-hitting acid trip. I've never done acid (laughs) But I have to imagine that Shelley was an avid user. <laughs> this summary that I'm about to provide is like very tame and watered down because I don't even know where to begin. It's wild. So the play was actually Shelley's response to a different play called Prometheus Bound. So Prometheus Unbound versus Prometheus Bound. Okay. Now, essentially, story time, Prometheus, in an act of defiance against Zeus... Or Jupiter, depending on which pantheon you describe to. I don't know if you're, you know, a subscriber to Zeus or Jupiter. He's Prometheus stole fire, okay, from yes. from heaven and gave it to the mortals as a gift. So nice. You, right? He is so kind. And he is known as the god of fire. And he also just really loved humans. Aww. Because it was believed that he molded mankind out of clay. Wow. So he always wanted to do right by his creation. But this really pissed Zeus off, like, big time. <laughs> Zeus was like, what the fuck are you doing? Give me my fire back. That is not for them. That is mine. So now Prometheus is in deep shit with Zeus, okay? Who essentially imprisons and tortures him for this transgression for 3,000 years. <laughs> Seems fair. <laughs> yeah. And apparently, you know, I guess, again, it depends. Zeus is an oppressive ruler who was threatened by the growing power of mortals. Wow. Yeah. He was like, them humans, though, they're up to no good down there on Earth. <laughs> That's fair. That's a fair so, assessment, honestly. Yeah. This Zeus-Prometheus dynamic does remind me a little bit of Henry and Eleven, mm. because Henry has this, like, deep disdain for mankind, whereas Elle's very protective over the humans in her life. Yeah. 
does kind of remind me of that a little bit. Well, lo and behold, Prometheus has a wife, Asia, who loves him and comes to his rescue, although it took her 3,000 years. <laughs> but I guess it's better late than never. I mean, <laughs> you know. So what happens is Asia and her sister, Panthea, who are both sea nymphs, just casual sea nymphs. They decide to confront Demogorgon. So here we go. Now, in the footnotes, Demogorgon is described as the father of all that exists. And I think I will be living life according to this philosophy from now on. I like that. Yeah, same. We've been arguing on here back and forth about, oh, is it Vecta or is it the Mind Flayer who is the big bad? It's the Demogorgon. (laughs) It's the it's the Demogorgon. This whole time we've been played imagine season five it's like haha jokes on you <laughs> all back. it's been the demogorgon <laughs> <laughs> so anyway demogorgon now notice how it's demogorgon not the demogorgon mm-hmm. demogorgon agrees to help free prometheus from zeus and i kid you not proceeds to leave on a chariot with the two nymphs <laughs> now i just really need someone to photoshop <laughs> the demogorgon on a chariot because it's amazing <laughs> I think it would be really great to see. Wow. I need the visual. Now, Demogorgon then arrives before Zeus as his child. What? I told you, I don't know what's going on. I'm just the, I'm just Hermes here. I'm the god of messages over here. (laughs) I'm just conveying the message. (laughs) And proceeds to drag Zeus into his lair, thus ending Zeus's reign of terror and oppression and freeing Prometheus. Wow, thanks, Demogorgon. Demogorgon saved Prometheus. That's so nice thanks my guy okay but like hmm hmm that does give me some thoughts what are your thoughts <laughs> i don't know if we're making this parallel between Zeus, i don't know <laughs> I, I have thoughts i don't know what my thoughts, I have thoughts are. but i don't know what they are um <laughs> if we're if we're like comparing zeus to henry and prometheus to l and then yeah demogorgon saves prometheus that could be an interesting <laughs> part of season five the demogorgon is like you know what this is an uprising let's go (laughs) (laughs) but imagine if like the species of demogorgon they they turn on him they turn on him because they're like this was our land we actually did kind of have this thought i feel like we did talk about like if the mind flayer ends up teaming up with l against right there's just so many possibilities i I love it that would be like my like this mf yeah being like i'm teaming up with her because you took over my house Yeah, like i don't like you anymore you you like betrayed this place or whatever i don't know could be interesting i would love that i would love to see i think i don't know i think that's where i kind of feel vecna versus the mind like i don't feel i I don't know something like i like i love the mind flayer like i don't love vecna and and you know why because the mind flayer is just he's we we invaded his house he was we did he was just chilling down there not bothering anybody and we ripped yeah. open the space-time continuum and bothered him and he's pissed about exactly. it exactly we can't blame him for yeah. that no and also like they could have you know maneuvered around this inconsistency if the implication was that the mind flayer located henry in the 50s mm-hmm. as a special child and that's why henry was drawing him not because he created right him. makes more sense all right let's talk about comics because <laughs> i'm just getting angry and this isn't supposed to be an angry podcast <laughs> <laughs> all right so my primary source for comics and superheroes and all things related to that has to be the dc and marvel wikis because there is no feasible way 
to do this any other way. <laughs> it is impossible. This is madness. I just want to say again, because we've said it before, we are not comic book people. No, we are not. I don't even watch superhero movies. No, and I am of the belief that there are far too many Spider-Men and Spider-Man needs to be stopped. <laughs> I agree. And the way that they get around this stuff is by saying there are many universes. No. My belief cannot be suspended that yeah. much. I need come back down to earth. Now, I am not versed in DC or Marvel, nor is Amanda. So what I've done is I've simplified most of these stories just for brevity purposes because again like i said absolute chaos um also i am aware that there are a lot of universes like we just said and many different canons depending on a variety of factors i try to be concise and i only focus on story elements that seem to be consistent between most of these variables okay because i amanda it isn't it's madness it like i am overwhelmed just thinking about it okay so let's start with victor stone so in the conversation in the flayed when dustin erica robin and steve are walking down that long hallway in the russian bunker they start talking about prometheum when they're figuring out what's in the the canisters the green Mm -hmm. substance and dustin mentions prometheum and then steve says prometheus and then we go back and forth and robin mentions victor stone like goes back and forth a little Mm -hmm. bit Now, Victor Stone, or Cyborg, is a superhero from the DC Universe, okay? He is a leader and member of the Justice League. He's also a Teen Titan. Yes, I used to love Teen Titans. So you do like superhero stuff. Yeah, I only watched it very briefly. Okay. Now, Victor was a high school student and an athlete who did not get along with his father named Silas. Silas was also a brilliant scientist. Okay. Okay. So Victor's papa was a brilliant scientist Mm. Mm. now one day victor was fatally injured by an explosion at star labs which is acronymed star labs and it stands for science and technology advanced research okay which doesn't sound like a collection of words that actually makes sense (laughs) when you put them together but star labs okay so victor is fatally injured and the explosion was caused when Darkseed, who is known as the God of Tyranny, Fun. attempts to invade Earth. Now, it's at this point that Silas, Victor's father, comes to his son's rescue. Got a lot of this going on. All of this sounds kind of familiar. Now, because he is a brilliant scientist after all, Silas uses his experimental technology to turn Victor into Cyborg, thus saving his life. Wow. Now, the technology that Silas used to save his son isn't just any old tech, like I said. It's experimental, but it's also dangerous. Of course. So it is therefore stored in a top-secret research facility called the Red Room. Oh. Yeah. Okay. The the Red Room. The Red Room. Oh, Weird. The, the Red Room. <laughs> the Red Room, everyone. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just when i saw listen, that i was so excited red room. listen we we talked about red and rooms and doors and it's very important that you understand now silas used a variety of parts to save his son one of which was a promethean skin graft mm. yeah so victor woke up to essentially find that he had been turned into a robot he was pretty fucking mad <laughs> he was like uh nope didn't ask for this he had no use of his legs nor did he have any control of his newfound abilities. Interesting. Yes. He had so little control, in fact, that when the facility fell under attack 
by a group of Darkseed's minions <gasps> who were coming back to finish the job. Not only did Victor destroy the Horde, but he also destroyed half the building. Oh. Yeah, so he's got no no control over any of these newfound bits and bobs that his dad has very kindly given him. Bits and bobs. Now, after... Bips, bits and bobs. <laughs> after this incident, he decides to flee the building through the hole in the wall that he created, devastated by what his father turned him into to save his life. Wow. Yeah, so I think not only do we have this complex father figure who pushes the boundaries of science at the expense of human life sounds familiar but i also think this yeah <laughs> and it also sort of brings up a likeness between l and brenner that we have not talked about yet so l's choice to save max despite the state that that leaves her mm -hmm. in really does kind of harken back to the lengths that brenner goes to experiment with the hawkins national lab kids yeah true like yeah, I just thought that was really eerie because we don't think of Elle like Brenner. Yeah. But it is kind of just an abuse of power that they both display in one way or another. Yeah. So I think also this idea that Brenner has been searching for Henry since season one and the damage that that pursuit has caused too. like lives have been lost so that Brenner can find his boy. Yeah. And it's really weird when you think about it that way. Like what... Like, what was his plan when he found him? What was he looking for him for? I don't know. So I don't watch season one and think of Brenner searching for Henry. Right. I watch season one and think of Brenner searching for Elle. But if we are meant to believe what we are meant to believe, he is actually searching for both Henry and mm -hmm. Elle. Simultaneously. Yeah. And at the same time, Joyce is searching for Will. And I never thought of, like, a Joyce Brenner parallel either. Yeah, a lot of searching going on. Yeah. Also, I think this whole concept of, like, not understanding your power is very Eleven and Henry yeah. as well. Yeah. So lots of the Victor Stone cyborg stuff going on here, I think. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Professor X and Cerebro. Now, Professor X is a reference made by Dustin in season one when he compares Eleven to him in chapter four, The Body. And Cerebro is obviously a reference to Dustin's ham radio in season three. Now, I think we talked a little bit about both of these references already when we did our chapter episodes, yeah. for sure. But we're going to talk about them some more. So Charles Xavier or Professor X, according to the Marvel wiki. So we're, we're marveling now. Great. Okay. We've switched. He is a mutant gifted with the va with vast telepathic powers, and he is also the founder of the X-Men. That makes sense with his name. Professor X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> the Xavier Men. <laughs> I don't know if it's Xavier or Xavier. My instinct is always to say Xavier. But... Yeah, me too. Now, when Charles was a young boy... His father... His father... Took him into <laughs> the city... Thank you. <laughs> no, but seriously, when Charles was a young boy, his father was involved in a secret government project called Project Black Womb. Okay. It's pronounced parade. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mistook womb for or parade for womb. Common mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I, what's the thing on Instagram that's like trying to read this to the tune of the Black Parade really threw me oh, off. And it was like the bean jar. Completely, <laughs> the bean jar. <laughs> 
like when I was a young boy, my father would put <laughs> a bean into a jar. <laughs> <laughs> like now I want to read the sentence to the tune of the Black Parade. But I'm not gonna do that. If you wanna try, by all means. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Charles's father was involved in this secret government project called Project Black Woo. Nice. Now, I don't know. <laughs> Mind voids, wombs black rooms it could all you know i'm stop laughing, I'm laughing at mr sinister <laughs> just wait <laughs> just having to deliver this information like it's serious with really another hard. scientist mr sinister you know if i got paired my lab partner's name with mr sinister i think okay i might ask for a different one remember i said brevity brevity yes Yes. Okay, so Mr. Sinister worked with them under an alias. He didn't go by Mr. Sinister uh, on the project. <laughs> that makes more sense. <laughs> because I yes, I would assume it would have caused some alarm like uh why are you pairing us why why are we why are we working with Mr. Sinister? Over I want here? a different lab partner. <laughs> I want a different lab partner. Oh my god. Okay. So wait. So Charles's father was involved in this secret government project and also involved with this project was another scientist, Mr. Sinister. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now Mr. Sinister, as part of Project Black Womb, this is all really hard to say. It's all really funny sounding. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, and it's hard, like, for some reason, the words next to each other, I feel like it's a tongue twister. Mr. Sinister conducted many experiments on the children oh. of other scientists involved in the project. Children like Charles, for instance. Mm. Okay. So are we following along? Professor X, he's a young boy. His dad is involved in this project. Mr. Sinister is also involved in the project. And he's running experiments on children yes. like Charles. Yes. Okay. Now, this sounds straight up like Brenner to me. Yeah. Right? Okay. However, however, I have a quote during this time, Sinister conducted an analysis of his associates' children, encoding his own psychic matrix <laughs> onto these children's DNA. Wow. Now, I had like some kind of weird epiphany theory moment here. Mr. Sinister to me feels like a Brenner Henry hybrid. Yeah. And I realized it would work in the reverse, right? It would actually be that Mr. Sinister existed in the Duffers, took that one character and split them into yeah. two, creating Henry and Brenner. Like, if Brenner had the abilities that Henry had, it would equal Mr. Sinister or vice versa. Mm -hmm. But what if in season five, we learn that it was actually Henry's idea to use his own genetics to create this army of mutants in his likeness. Oh. And this whole time, Brenner was just a facilitator, but also a scapegoat. Okay. I kind of love that. And we know, or we think... Like you said here, that Henry might be an unreliable narrator. So when he's explaining the Soteria thing to Elle, it might be to, I don't know, like it, it might not serve the purpose that Henry says it does. Like the hmm. like the tracking and the restriction and stuff like that part might be true. But what if it's Brenner trying to keep Henry from harming his own army because he knows he will? Oh, my God. Ah! Stop. I, yeah, I just like... We know Brenner is a prideful asshole, right? right? And he's greedy. We talked about we this. Did. But it feels much more Henry-esque for him to be like, let's use my superior genetic materials to create more of yeah. me. 
Like, would that have occurred? Would it have occurred to Brenner? But also the question is, would it have occurred to Henry at that young? Because it started very young. But also, like, there is an age gap, Mm. a substantial one between Henry and two. Reason being partially that by the time Henry gets to Brenner, he's already like 12. True. In 1989, I'm pretty sure two is like 16 or so, and Henry's like 32. So there's a 16-year age gap there-ish. Okay. So so we're to assume that Henry was around 16 by the time he might have come to that conclusion. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with okay. that. Okay. I could see that. I also don't know, like, if you if you think about motive, besides creating more to study them, mm-hmm. what motive does Brenner have? Like, wouldn't it be a stronger motive given henry's perspective on life very true to want to create an army and duplicates of himself yes and that would make sense because he sees non-powerful humans as inferior to himself so he has more motive to want to create more super-powered humans yeah i i feel like we were like brenner sympathizers (laughs) a little bit but i just like i would love like a snape type of reveal (sighs) for brenner yes yes like we find out that this was all Henry's scheme and Brenner was just a facilitator and Brenner eventually realized that this, you know, sort of was getting out of control and yeah, just there's wait. so much. Okay. So there's so much. Okay. So back to professor X. Now when Charles's father died, when he was nine, okay. Project black womb was terminated but his mother remarried a man named Dr. Marco, who was one of the other scientists involved with this project. So when Charles's father died when he was nine, Project Black Womb stopped. It was terminated. Um, but his mother remarried a man named Dr. Marco, who hmm. was one of the other scientists involved with this project. Now, it is understood that Dr. Marco only married Charles's mother to keep an eye on Charles for Mr. Sinister. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. This is just feeling a little bit like Brenner keeping an eye on Henry through Virginia. Yeah. Which we still don't know what Henry refers to when he says that his mom is a bad person. Yeah. Was she sleeping with Brenner? Oh. Maybe. Damn all that lust. There it is. (laughs) There's that lust. That we're completely (laughs) speculating about. But, you know, it could be because... They clearly had some sort of relationship and, uh, Mm. you know, we never find out what exactly Henry's issue with Virginia is. We don't. And I also think we need to keep in mind again, like we this is all through the lens of Henry. Now, maybe Henry just thought his mom was a bad person because she was like, my boy is not okay, And Henry didn't like that threat to his you know that makes sense whatever plan but i mean either or i guess who's it also kind of reminds me of what you were saying about the snape reveal because i was just recently watching deathly hallows and there's the part when like harry takes snape's tears back to the pensieve and watches his memory and stuff and i said to eli like how come dumbledore is just like randomly an asshole here like it mm-hmm. seems to come out of nowhere and Eli was like well you have to remember this is this is how Snape sees it this doesn't yes. necessarily mean this is how it happened true so it's kind of the same thing like it doesn't mean that it's necessarily what happened we're just seeing Henry's memories yeah and also these characters like whether it's Stranger Things whether it's Harry Potter it's so hard to create a wholly evil character because like even somebody like billy 
wholly evil or responsible for his own actions, whatever we want to say about it, there's always something deeper in there. Like, I think of at the end of season three when, like, Billy is disarmed enough that he lets Elle, like, touch his face for a second and a tear. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, but, like, Brenner, too, like, and, and Henry, all of these characters are through their own lens. So, like, we don't know if Virginia is actually a terrible person. Yeah. We we just don't know because we don't have we don't have any objective truth here. Everything is coming through other people's eyes. And we know that it's not objective because I mean, I guess this is my opinion, but like I don't think Victor Creel was a bad person for what he did in the war. It was accidental. No. He felt remorse. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's horrible, but it wasn't something he did maliciously. So I don't think that makes him a bad person, but to Henry he is a bad person. Yeah. And I think like remorse is a big thing mm-hmm. here. Because, like, I don't think Henry acts with remorse, which maybe that's what makes him, like, wholly evil, you know? And I don't know if we can look at that last scene in Papa and be like, does Brenner feel remorse for what he did to Elle? Like, I need you to understand you're my family. Like, is that remorse on on Brenner's part? I don't know. All right. Now, despite his tumultuous childhood, Charles went on to study at both Harvard and Oxford. And he was dead set on humans and mutants coexisting. When he became paraplegic as a result of a conflict with Lucifer, you know, just casual, just, you know, casual (laughs) Lucifer, who was another villain dead set on conquering Earth as usual. Charles, a.k.a. Professor X, transformed his home into Xavier's school for gifted youngsters. Yeah. And this is what we talked about when we did season one. Now, the school was known as a sanctuary for mutants to train and learn about their abilities. And I just want to stop for a second and think of Hawkins National Lab through this lens. We see two instances of Hawkins National Lab kids out in the wild. Okay? Kali and Elle. Mm-hmm. And in both instances, they are being hunted. Wow. Albay for different reasons. So Elle is viewed as a weapon and therefore as a threat by the government, whereas Kali has chosen this life of delinquency and is being hunted down as a criminal. Now, that right there illustrates the fact that these superhumans struggle to function in daily life because of these abilities. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine if Brenner had used the lab as a way to educate the kids with the intentions of them still leading normal lives. Right. Like, almost as like, the word isn't correct, but I think of like a rehabilitation. Like a, how do we rehabilitate you and get you back into society? Even though there's nothing to rehabilitate them for. But, like, how can we integrate these kids into society despite them having these spectacular abilities? So the kids that were taught by Professor X in his school ultimately end up forming the X-Men. So that's cool. Now let's talk about Cerebro. Now, Cerebro was a device that Professor X used to track mutants. Now, yeah. Now, the device was later updated to also be able to store the thoughts and personality traits of the mutants. Mm. Okay. Okay. But what I found most interesting about Cerebro is this following quote. Xavier is able to read minds and project his own thoughts into the minds of others within a radius of 250 miles on Earth. With extreme effort, he can greatly extend that radius. When synced with Cerebro, he can connect to every mind on a planet. Now, this just reminds me of Vecna vibing in his attic, (laughs) connected... And plugged in to the upside down Wi-Fi network. Like we know he's capable of doing the, like what he's doing without the enhancement mm-hmm. of 
connection to the Creel house and the Upside Down when he is using that system to skim through his Rolodex of trauma. But when he plugs in, he can infiltrate people's minds and telepathically murder them without even being in the same dimension. Yeah. So, like, I almost want to think of the Creel House, like, plug-in system as a Cerebro of sorts, based on this quote. Like, it, it enhances his abilities. Very, very similar. Yeah. Now, I could go on and on and on, but we need to continue. So I'm going to stop there about Professor X. But lots of stranger things going on with Professor X and with Cerebro. Now, we're going to talk about X-Men number 134, specifically, and the Hellfire Club. So we're going to throw it back to season one, chapter one, The Vanishing of Will Byers. And X-Men 134 is the comic book that Dustin and Will bet on. Right, yes. Right in the very beginning. And X-Men 134 came out on March 18th, 1980. And it was written by Chris Claremont. And I think it's John Byrne, but I could be mispronouncing that. Could be Byrne. X-Men 134 features the following characters. So the protagonist or protagonists are the X-Men. So it's Cyclops, Storm, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, and Colossus. And the antagonist is the Hellfire Club. So that's Black King. Yeah. Donald Pierce, Mastermind, Harry Leland, and Dark Phoenix slash Jean Grey. The whole issue takes place at the Hellfire Club mansion in Manhattan, in New York City. Now, according to Vox, there's this really cool article that I found that was actually written after season one and the the ending of the article says stranger things hasn't been renewed for season two yet but we have to assume that it's going to be renewed wow love that <laughs> i know it felt like a time capsule so according to vox uncanny x-men number 34 or 134 sorry is one of the most popular and significant issues in x-men canon it kicks off the most important X-Men story in Marvel history, and it contains the first appearance of one of the most destructive forces in the X-Men universe. Viewed through the lens of Stranger Things, it's both a taste of what's to come on the show and an homage to the X-Men character known as Jean Grey. Do you know anything about Jean Grey? I feel like we touched upon Jean Grey in some Maybe. chapter episode a while ago, but please continue. Okay, so let's do some background on Jean Grey. Now, Jean Grey is a mutant with vast empathic and telepathic abilities. Her abilities were awakened when the Phoenix, which is one of the oldest cosmic entities in the universe, found Jean as a young girl. Now, one day, Jean was playing with her friend Annie when Annie was tragically hit by a car and killed. Now, the stress of the moment caused Jean's latent telepathic abilities to awaken and Jean telepathically linked her mind to her dying friend in an attempt to keep her from slipping into the afterlife. <laughs> oh. Yes. But Jean started to slip too. So the Phoenix broke their connection to save Jean, who I kept typing as Jane Freudian here for slip. the majority of <laughs> Yes. So that's interesting. Isn't that a little bit wow, interesting? Oh, that is super yeah. interesting. Yeah. So Jean was one of the many mutants trained by Professor X. Okay. Anyway, back to <laughs> X-Men 134. So because Jean possessed this great power, naturally the Hellfire Club wanted to abduct her and weaponize her. Right. Yep. While Jean is in the possession of the Hellfire Club, Mastermind, who has the power to create illusions, uses this to manipulate Jean's perception of reality. What? Yeah. That's crazy. I know, Kali ass. Anyway, <laughs> while <laughs> while while Jean eventually she breaks free of Mastermind's influence because she's a badass. 
But there's one problem. So the power given to Jean by the Phoenix became corrupted by Mastermind's mind control shenanigans. Oh my goodness. I know. Enter Dark Phoenix, a dark, destructive, and evil entity unlike the Phoenix, which represents light and life. And that is pretty much the gist of X-Men 134. So the plot of season one. (laughs) Essentially. And and like, yeah, the whole like mastermind influence thing is just Kali Mm -hmm. completely dark. Or yeah, you said Dark Phoenix is the like Mm -hmm. ancient thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's just the mind flyer. Yeah. So the the comparison is that there's these two young women. Okay. So Jean and Eleven with extraordinary psionic abilities taken hostage to be used as weapons who... As a result of people with nefarious intentions fucking with their minds, both inadvertently release an incredibly powerful and dangerous monster. <laughs> Literally the exact <laughs> plot of season one. <laughs> now, without the context of season two, the monster would be the Demogorgon. Right. Right. That would be the monster. Yeah. But, you know, with the context of the rest of the show, we can say the Mind Flayer, perhaps, the Demogorgon is still relevant. Yeah. But also, like... What awakened Jean's abilities was this attempt to save her friend from slipping into the after. It's just hello. Like exactly what happens between <laughs> Ellen Max in season four. It's wild. Yeah. And if you look up X-Men 134, there is an image that was illustrated and it really just looks like the scene of L like pinning the Demogorgon to the wall. It's like very, very mm inspired so yeah and i think with that we're gonna we're gonna end with a quick look at wonder woman because there could legitimately be an entire podcast (laughs) (laughs) on the similarities between 11 and gene gray it's a little bit insane so let's talk about wonder woman before we wrap it up we did do this a little bit when we talked about the sauna Mm -hmm. test and we're back to dc now so wonder woman is a dc comic not marvel and we see max introduce l to wonder woman in the beginning of the sauna test when they're getting all snuggly to read a comic book after their long day of hunting down heather and billy now wonder woman otherwise known by her civilian name diana prince is a founding member of the justice league and she's the daughter of Zeus and Hippolyta. We are back to Greek mythology, everyone. It has come full circle. <laughs> we spoke of some of the parallels between Elle and Wonder Woman, particularly about the concept of a civilian name. So it's pretty common. Victor Stone, Cyborg, mm-hmm. Professor X, Charles Xavier. They all have civilian names. But we have like Eleven and Jane. So Eleven being her quote unquote superhero name and Jane being her civilian name. And we also talked about how in the 1960s, Wonder Woman was stripped of her powers, very much like Elle was at the end of season Mm. three. But I want to take a tiny little look at the actual comic that Max was reading to Elle, which was Wonder Woman 326. And it's not too crazy because I couldn't find like a true synopsis of this comic anywhere I Googled it. I spent a lot of time clicking various Google links. (laughs) A lot of them just wanted me to buy the comic book. I was not going to do that. (laughs) But it came out on July 3rd, 1985. So somehow Max had a (laughs) pre-release of this issue of Wonder Woman. (laughs) Wow. Because that was definitely not the day before. Like, 
maybe like a day or yeah, two right like, did she go to the comic book store and they were like hey kid we know you're here all the time here's a, a pre-release an exclusive pre-release of wonder woman 326 for max mayfield and, that's funny because she held it up with another comic and i feel like if it was brand new she'd be like oh i just got this you know i just got this new comic yeah. nope so this issue follows Wonder Woman and two other characters named Keith Griggs and Lauren Haley to Tropidor, which is a nation in Central America. And this was all I could get, but the three of them travel to Tropidor on an investigative mission, okay. which is like what Max and Elle are doing yeah. in the case of the missing lifeguard. They're following, you know, Heather and Billy around and trying to figure out what the hell's going so on. true. Yeah, and I, like I said, I couldn't find any other details about what they were investigating in Trovador, but I definitely can, like, appreciate the little parallel there. Yeah, that's awesome. And it could have been totally coincidental because it was just when the comic book issue came out, but yeah. it's got to be a little bit we're on We're going to find meaning because that's what we do. That's what we do. All right, that's all I got, folks. Wow. Yeah, was, it was a lot. That was fun. Thanks. All the gods and the monsters and the superheroes and a lot of parallels. And I think what I've taken away from doing this is that without the context of what inspired the show, the Duffer brothers seem like they're really original. <laughs> right. But it's all just, I think I've seen Stranger Things referred to this, referred to as this is like a love letter to all of these comic books yeah. and movies and it's just so true like that's just what this show is yeah yeah i love that the duffer brothers are, are just huge nerds and such huge ones <laughs> stranger things is just like a giant fan fiction of all these things <laughs> <laughs> it is it's like and they're not they're not hiding no. it you know because what they do is they write their characters to also be huge fans of the things that they're fans of. So it comes across as authentic. Of course, Dustin would name his radio Cerebro. Right. right. I said to Nick yesterday, it would be like me naming my dog Dustin. Right. Because it's like, I'm not like stealing from Stranger Things. I'm just, you know, right. it's my dog Dustin. You're influenced by it because you love it. Yeah, exactly. So this was really fun. It was, it was like, like I said, a huge rabbit hole. If you are an avid comic book reader... You have all of my respect because this, it, it is so deep and involved and it is endless. I don't know how you keep track. I have a lot of respect for the kids on the show that they keep track of all this. And this was just really cool. And there's so much parallel going on. Some interesting things that we could maybe speculate or deduce or theorize based on what we know from these comic books and like what could be in store for season five. Mm -hmm. So I just thought we needed to do this because we haven't yet and it seems important. Yeah, this was awesome. All right. So fun. Yay. Go read a comic book <laughs> on my behalf. <laughs> Thank you, as always, for listening. Make Yay. sure you give us a rating if you liked us. Oh, yeah. And till next time. Stay strange. Stay strange. To keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming StarCourt Study Hall episodes, follow us on Instagram at StarCourt Study Hall. 